The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like dew that goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen horrible things. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. This is God's word. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from Acts chapter 9, verses 23 to 43. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill Saul, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in a wall lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to, him, declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, 
which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa, Peter did, for many days, with one Simon, a tanner. God, we thank you for your word. I know you put up with me a lot that I sing a lot, because that's part of my wiring. But I'm going to start today with a song. Maybe you recognize it. I have a dream I hope will come true, that you're here with me, and I'm here with you. I wish the earth, sea, and sky up above will send me someone to love. Huh? Songs from a Pixar film, short film called Lava. And it is the touching story of a volcano in the middle of an ocean waiting for companionship. The volcano sings this song day in, day out, hoping there will come a day where he's not alone anymore. And no one comes. Slowly over the years of waiting, his mountainous presence just starts to erode till he's just this small little iceberg-like hump sticking out of the ocean. That story is a picture, a bittersweet picture of this hopeful waiting and wondering, well, what I wish for and hope for, the love of my life, will this ever come true? Our passage today in Acts begins in verse 23 with an expression of waiting. It says, when many days had passed. Sometimes when we read the book of Acts or you read any biblical account that has that phrase, we just glance over it. And we believe that God's gospel work in the world takes absolutely zero time at all. We jump from chapter to chapter witnessing miracle after miracle and miracle and miracle. And honestly, we get impatient in this world. Like the rapper Propaganda says, it leaves a man a little salty, like, when's it going to be my turn? I'm longing for escape and hoping for salvation, waiting for the day he'll make the crooked way straight again. Take Ron, some examples. Ron, a vibrant pastor for years, faithfully leading a flock of Christ's sheep, 
And now he lays in an assisted living facility with painful bed sores, which make him despair to the point of death, waiting, but many days have passed. Or Johnny, her body, lets her know the prison it is, paralyzed by making her nights sleepless as she writhes in excruciating pain. She's waiting, but many days have passed. Or Lori, who lays in bed, looking at her husband's back, night after night, wishing he would at least put his arm around her after years of the cold shoulder, waiting, but many days have passed. Or Nate, who is tiring of the prayers for his brother to just quit the drinking and the drugging. He's waiting, but many days have passed. Where are you waiting for the crooked to be made straight again? Where is the bad news right now far outweighing the good news? How are the many days that are passing flattening your hope for change like that volcano down to the nub? We groan in waiting for a change in the landscape, for the kingdom that's been promised to burst out like lava out of the sea. Three people in today's passage in Acts are waiting, Paul, Aeneas, and Tabitha. Paul is waiting to see his newly appointed ministry of preaching Jesus to have some results. Aeneas has been waiting eight years for feeling to return to his legs again. And Tabitha is waiting for the day when the dead, which now includes her, will rise again. We have a dream we hope will come true, but many days have passed. Paul's having death threats on his life from his former friends, the Jews. And now the new family that he's been assigned to, the church, is scared to open the door to him because of his being a mob boss. And Aeneas who was named after the Greek god who helped defend his city in the Trojan War, he can't even use the bathroom without assistance. Tabitha, who was known throughout the town as the kindest, gentlest, selfless servant of the poor, is laying dead on a table, readied for her wake. What do they all need to hear? What do you need to hear who are waiting? One word you need to hear. One word today you need to hear. Rise. 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 Resurrection needs to be remembered. Like a volcano bursting through layers of years and years of flat rock under the water, death is defeated. Here's my proposition, friends. The volcanic eruption of Jesus' resurrection, it changes the world so that his risen power then has to flow through our lives. I'll say it again. The volcanic eruption of Jesus' resurrection, it changes the world. So his risen power must flow through our lives. Two points that Jesus' resurrection eruption does for us. The first is this. Jesus' resurrection breaks the cold one into the bold one. And secondly, Jesus' resurrection flow bursts the lame into flames. So first, Jesus' resurrection flow breaks the cold one into the bold one. 
Saul. He's a cold-blooded killer. He wanted anyone who made mention of Jesus and his resurrection to be snuffed out, to be crucified. But on his mission to kill the name of Jesus, he comes face to face with the volcanic burst of a risen Christ. Jesus' fire before Saul is so bright that it burns his eyes, that he's literally blinded by the light. That's what happens. And Saul then does a complete 180. He repents. He turns from his wicked ways. And the cold one becomes the bold one as he's preaching Jesus. He's alive. He's alive instead of wanting him dead. And what happens to Paul as a result or Saul as a result? The hunter becomes the hunted now. His own people have a death warrant on him, verse 23 tells us. But it doesn't stop Paul from saying, this Jesus, he's alive. He's real. I saw him with my own blinded eyes. The cold blood that ran through Saul's veins is now on fire and flowing with what? With resurrection hope. He spends three years preaching resurrection and see what it gets him. Death threats. He goes to Jerusalem to meet up with Jesus' people and what happens? They close the door to him until Barabbas convinces them, you know, this guy's legit. He goes to Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenists, thinking they will be more ready to receive the good news of resurrection. And what happens? They want him dead too. It's so ironic, friends, that preaching Jesus' resurrection, that a dead man has risen, will get you killed in the world. That's what will get you killed, is preaching a resurrection. Boldness that you see in Saul is a willingness to take risks. And why is Saul willing to risk? Because He's no longer going to die. He's willing to die for a risen Jesus because there's resurrection. Saul sees how dead cold and dead wrong he was, and his boldness is his shift from ice cold to bold. Think about it this way. If you've ever taken a glass of water, do this maybe, just to illustrate for yourself what's going on with Saul. Take a glass and place in it like ice cubes. Not just ice cubes that are in the front, but the the ones that are in the way back of your freezer. You know, the ones that are like frosted up and nasty and gross, and maybe they have some food on them too, like whatever. Take those ones that are way back and throw them in a glass. These cubes have that frost built up, and they they just look like they've been there a long time in the cold freezer. Stack them in the glass, and then pour on them boiling hot. Tell me what happens. Does the ice slowly and gently melt down? Not a chance. It cracks open. It shouts at you. It shifts all the water and the cubes around it. That's what's happening with Saul. He's alive again. He's burst open. He was a frosty, hard ice cube, dead and cold. Years and years of dead religion and self-righteousness which says, I'll do this, God will be happy with me. I'll don't do that, and God will be angry with me. But all the while, the person, the righteousness that he was 
acting upon was not pleasing God. It was only pleasing himself. He became proud of who he was. He became judge of who was not like him. He couldn't see his own sin. He could see everyone else's really well. His heart was as hard as a cold stone. But the hot lava of a living and forgiving Lord broke him open to become bold to proclaim Jesus, his love, his forgiveness. So bold, in fact, that God actually needed to let him cool down for a little bit. I don't know if you know this because we read Acts so quickly, but Paul goes into obscurity for about eight years. We don't hear from him again for about eight years. He has to go to Caesarea and Tarsus before his public ministry gets fruitful. Because imagine if Saul had instant success as a bold preacher of the gospel. Oh, it would not have been good for someone like Saul. Mm-mm. It would have gone to his head. He would have subtly begin believing, it was my power that's doing this, not Christ's resurrection power that was doing the work. So Paul, Paul, Saul, needed a waiting period of humbling because there was still ice of pride that needed melting. Friends, in application on this one, the shock of Christ's risen power, it needs to hit the ice-cold places of your sin. It needs to hit the ice-cold places of your sin. Let the resurrection shock of someone confronting you about your sin not be offensive, but welcome. May it make you bolder because he showed you how cold you were. Let the resurrection shock of someone maybe rejecting you about talking about Christ and his resurrection not discourage you, but instead embolden you like that ice cube to start move around the cup a little bit and not just stay in one place. And even let Paul, Saul's waiting eight years of not seeing a whole lot of fruit from your boldness be a time in which Christ is melting away the motives to make evangelism, church growth, even Jesus, more about you and less about him. Jesus' resurrection flows to turn the cold one into the bold one. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection flow bursts the lame into flames. Jesus made a promise about his resurrection lava flow in chapter 1 of Acts. We talk about it hopefully every week. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And we see in verse 31 a statement about how far the flow of the gospel has extended. And if you can imagine, it's kind of a chapter end and moving to a new beginning and a new part of the book of Acts. And it says this, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. All of these places, all these places were experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus. Peace had come, the scripture says. But what's the common denominator to all of those places? You might not know, but all of those cities are predominantly Jewish territories. And Peter was going here and there around these Jewish territories, celebrating the gospel flow as people are walking in the fear of the Lord and walking in the comfort of the Spirit. All of these Jewish people are walking now. The lame are walking upright because of the bad news and the good news of the gospel. They're walking now. Bad news 
good news. Bad news, good news. The bad news being this. God is a holy judge who leaves no sin stone unturned. In the Old Testament scripture, Psalm 130 says this. It promises this. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, should keep a record of my sin, what does it say? Oh, Lord, who could stand? We'd be down on the ground. Every sinner would not only be down on the ground, we'd be completely dead under the water, on the floor of the ocean, that's where we are in our sin, if God kept a record of our sin. Bad news. God is just, God is holy, God will punish. Good news being this, every sin, every iniquity, Jesus was willing to be the mark, was willing to be the lamb, the sacrifice, willing to take the punishment of all of our sins that are putting us dead in the water and put him dead at the bottom of the sea, that we would not only die with him, but that he would take us up from the bottom of the sea and raise us back out of the ocean into new life in his resurrection. So the Holy Spirit is bringing good news comfort that these Jewish people who by God's grace had grace teach their heart to fear and grace their fears relieved. Bad news, good news, bad news, good news, bad news, good news. They're walking in this. And as the good news of resurrection is flowing, the church in the Jewish territories, they're multiplying, they're growing. And Peter and the disciples, they're enjoying this growth. But the flow of the promise Jesus made, it's not done in changing the world's landscape. The gospel volcano is still flowing outward. And the promise is not only to make the Jews, who are the people of God, by heredity, to walk in the fear and comfort of the good news, that lava, that love of God, is to flow to the end of the earth, to all peoples, to every nation, tribe, and tongue. But Peter, one of the holders of the keys to the kingdom, Jesus needs to have his territory expanded, his lens widened, his gospel grown. So what does God do to show this to Peter? You see this in this passage. The Lord leads him to the Jewish saints in Lydda. Lydda is a Gentile town. Lydda is not a Jewish town. And he finds a man, Aeneas, who's named a Greek name after a God who brought victory. And he sees him, and he's a lame man waiting for eight years to walk. Aeneas is probably one who's indeed been walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit, like we talked about, but his legs, his physical legs aren't matching what his heart believes. His heart might be walking, but his body's not. And Peter declares by the Spirit's prompt and by prayer in verse 34, this Greek main named man, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and get ready to sit up and take nourishment. And up the lame man stands. And what happens to the flow of lava? Verse 35. All of the residents of this predominantly Gentile town saw the flame from this lame man and turned to the Lord. The lame 
became a resurrection flame. But the lava doesn't stop there. Another Jewish saint named Tabitha, whose name means gazelle, like running deer, a woman who defines the expression that they may see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. That's, that's her. That's Tabitha. She takes good care of people. She loves so well. And she makes beautiful clothes for poor widows who don't have the cash to even buy their own underwear, their own tunic. And so as Peter walks into her wake service, it's a beautiful picture. If you can imagine all of these weeping widows standing around and then going like this, they're showing him what she's made, how beautiful the garments, is, garments were that she makes. He sees them all weeping and wondering, is resurrection really real? And Peter, the resurrection witness, the one who's seen Christ alive, sends everyone out in a word. And that resurrection flow, that lava flow, flows through Peter as he declares in just one letter difference from Jesus' healing of a little girl a few years prior. He doesn't say, Talitha Kumi. He says, Tabitha Kumi. Gazelle, get up. Run. Gazelle, get up. And he opens the door to the upper room for, saint, for the saints, for the widows, for all of Joppa who are coming to the wake service to see the lamed deer shine out the flames of resurrection. And they believe. Peter and Saul both are being prepped by God to get ready for a lava flow that's about to spread to places they didn't even dream possible. To the Gentile, to the dogs, to the unclean. And as the passage ends, Peter takes up residence. Why is that last line there? He takes residence with a tanner. What's the point of that? This is a guy who works with dead animal carcasses. And so if you take up residence, a Jew with a tanner, a guy who works with dead animal carcasses, guess what? That's an unclean place. That's a place that no Jew would come close to staying. But guess what? The lava flow is making its way even there to the unclean. I've been reading a book. It was recommended to me. I don't know that I would recommend it to you. It's called, because it's pretty sad, it's called Being Mortal. Maybe in my midlife crisis at 50, I'm reading this book about what's going to happen to me. But it's one doctor's account of the challenges of old age. As medicine advances, more and more people are living longer and longer lives. But the problem with the quantity of years does not necessarily come the quality of life. Most people who are above the age of 80 will know this marker that they're coming to the end of their life. One distinct thing, he says, will mark that you are knowing you're coming to the end of your life. Do you know what it is? Fall. A fall. You will be lamed by an event, whether it be a topple down the steps or a slip on the ice, which will shatter your bones into pieces. You will be made lame by that fall, and you will eventually die. It's a death sentence, the fall is. But good news. In light of the gospel, 
the fall, the lameness, the end of our own abilities to get ourselves back up again marks not the end, but rather the beginning of a new life, the place where the resurrection power of Jesus comes and makes hopeless causes like that woman laying there fallen and I can't get up to stand, to get up, to give hope to the rest of the world that the fall and the death that comes will not be the end of it. Paul was dead cold in heart. And the resurrection lava of Jesus touched his life to make him boldly unafraid to die. Aeneas was eight years in bed. Tabitha was literally cold to the touch. And the resurrection lava touched their lamed lives and made them both a light for the unclean world. Christ brought each of them in their falls and through his resurrection back to life. He can make the crooked way straight again. He can make the lame to walk again. I just want to ask you this. What has cooled your lava flow, saints? How have you grown cold like Paul? Maybe to the depth of your sin. See a risen Christ and fall on your faces in fear of the God who sees all you've done, but then offers you not a death sentence, but resurrection life. Have we seen our lameness like Aeneas, our struggles to change or get back up again on our own strength as a holding pattern? Just until Jesus comes again, I just got to hold on. No. Do we make our lameness something he can use to show the watching world the power of a life that gets transformed by the gospel? And like Tabitha, do we see our impending deaths because you're all terminal, you're all terminal, Do you see it as the widows did, as a sad state of maybe hopelessness, where all we have to hold on to is the dead person's clothes? Or do we, like Peter, put our eyes on the grave clothes that are in the tomb to say, there's no chance, this is the end, this is not the end. The little volcano in that short film waited and waited until... Bursting out of the water came everything he was waiting, hoping, singing, praying for. Friends, Jesus is alive to break open cold sinners into bold saints. And Jesus is alive to heal lame and dead corpses into becoming a lava flow of love that changes the world. I have a dream I know has come true. That he lives in me and also in you. I pray the Lord of the earth and the sky will flow through us his risen lava. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're alive. We're not dead. Lord, this world is so strong in telling us and causing us to believe that this is our end. It's not our end. Bring us back to life. Father, our day in and day outs, our routines have made us cold. We don't, we don't see our purposes a whole lot. We don't see our sin a whole lot. Would you pour on us your resurrection lava? that it might cause us like that frozen ice to just burst open. 
Make us bold, Lord, not cold. And lift us up, raise us up, so that the world might see light in a world that is very dark. Make your lava flow through us, the love of Jesus through us. I pray this all in his name. Amen.